Hello, and welcome to Localities Making Bank Podcast with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries take you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph as they share the very stories that have shaped them. Alvarez, welcome to Localities Making Bank Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure being here. We're uh, really excited about having you here today. You are uh, the person who started the largest business that we've uh, that we've had on the show. So um, we've had all kinds of entrepreneurs on. So it's nice to see somebody that's had the the success that you've had, and we're anxious to hear your story. So. why don't you start us off with uh, where you're from and, and where you grew up and that basic information. Thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Um, I grew up, I, I was born in Havana, Cuba, and uh, the revolution uh, took us to uh, uh, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, where my father had some business uh, contacts, and uh, then moved to South Beach. Uh, I was three years old by the time we went to South Beach and grew up in uh, Miami with about another three quarters of a million Cubans. About uh, what year was this then? So this we left 60s? in 59. Okay. And uh, we were on Miami Beach in 1960, where my brother was born. And uh, he was our first American, uh, uh, born in America. Yeah. yeah. So uh, his name was different because they, at the time, did not allow you to have a hyphenated name, which is tells uh, individuals who your father and mother are. So they didn't allow for that. So uh, my dad would always call him Alvarez, translation, Alvarez only, because you know, <laughs> he couldn't put my mom's maiden name on the on the tail end of that. So, And then I grew up uh, in the uh, southern part of Miami, around South Miami, went to parochial school and uh, then Catholic uh, high school, Christopher Columbus High School, and uh, then the University of Miami. Wow. So yeah, that's uh... real that's that's a real Miami story, right? Yeah, Columbus absolutely. and UM and uh yeah, that's that's a great great start. So did you when you were growing up and you said you're you know, you're telling me that your grandfather and your father had been businessmen, how did that affect you as you were growing up? Did you have different jobs? Did you start any businesses as you were growing up? Yes. Uh the my grandfather was really the entrepreneurial and spirit in our family, uh more so than my father who had bought my grandfather's business uh, in Cuba in 1954. That afternoon, fired my three uncles, his three <laughs> uh, brother-in-laws. So we had a very strict no family in business uh, rule. In my, wow. And I grew up with that because I saw the damage it did. Uh, even when we were here years later, there was always a rift between uh, one side of our family and and our, and our family. Yeah. Um, so... Um, you know, and I, I know business is difficult enough that when you mix family with business, I mean, it, it, it can be uh, challenging. So that's one of the things I learned from my, my father uh, and my grandfather right away. But, uh, you know, we did a lot of things and, and I, we call it entrepreneurial ship today. But, I, you know, we, were, we just needed, we were never poor. We just never had any money because <laughs> I, I think poor is a, a, a state of mind. And, you know, uh, we had the keys to uh, success. We just didn't have any money, right? We had, we're getting educated, loving home, our faith, strong in faith. We're going to outwork everybody. It was, and we were in the best country in the world. 
I mean, the world is here to, you know, we're, we're ready to go. And that's how we were raised. And, and it was just about what opportunity we were going to kind of manage. My father had one rule, just be really good at, didn't matter what type of business, but just be dedicated to it and and be excellent at it. So with my finance degree and I was, I started a a valet car parking service while in in, uh, college and, um, and uh, that was just a fluke. Friends of ours in college uh, were going to go snow skiing. Well, you're going snow skiing. Where do you get the money to go snow skiing? And they they were running this valet car service at a very popular restaurant in, in Coral Gables. And they let us uh, work there for one night. And I made $100 in cash on a Friday night. And I looked at my friends and we uh, put together some flyers. We've been taking some marketing courses. We pick up three restaurants and we start parking cars and uh, making, you know, a significant amount of money, $100 a night, which was extraordinarily good money at, in the uh, late 70s. Yeah. And um, when I first dated uh, my wife, she thought I was a drug dealer because I had a, a wad of dollars, you know. We'd go out and had this huge wad of singles. It was all right, singles, right. right? So, and change and all this type of stuff. So, uh, and then um, another story, a, a job that I started in high school, I continued to do. I did a layout for a newspaper called the Greyhound Racing Record, Greyhound Racing uh, yeah. Results. And I managed that and I did the layout for multiple years. And what I liked about it, I could do it at any time. So I found myself doing it late, late nights and stuff. And I, I became really proficient at it. And then they paid me a lot of money. And then um, I was also uh, a Taekwondo instructor, martial arts instructor. So I was doing all these That's different sure. things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of things going a lot on. Of different stuff. But I was making a lot of money. Yeah, I was very busy. And then uh, so I graduated the degree in finance and, you know, uh, went on interviews for uh, with Southeast Bank at the time. And oh, okay. They were, you know, they were, they were happy to hire me at about half of what I was making. Right. And I, I just couldn't get around my head around that. Um, and uh, I started working at FPNL as an analyst. Um, and the interesting part, people go, what did you actually do? And I said, I, I think I was Excel before Excel. <laughs> <laughs> I was a manual Excel spreadsheet. Wow. That's what we did. You know, you tie out all these numbers and everything else. I lasted there about five months. I couldn't handle that. And um, uh, so I left there. And during that, I left there and I, and I decided I needed a job in, I wanted a job in sales. Because at the time, a good friend of mine who's an engineer, uh, pulled up and, and he had just taken up golf and he was coming off the golf course and he had just told me he made something like $2,000 selling ball bearings uh, to um, this client that he just played golf. And he has a brand new car, which is a company car. This is all foreign to me, by right. the way. Had no, no real exposure to professional selling. I thought selling was car sales guys and things like right. that. And then he got me when uh, he said his boss was uh, 1,400 miles away. I said, wait a second. <laughs> Your boss is two states over. You've got a brand new car. You just made $2,000 from, and you're playing golf. I said, I got to look into this. And uh, long story short, I decided I wanted to be a professional pharmaceutical sales representative. Okay. And that kind of took me down this trajectory of, uh, of sales. And uh, I came up through sales. I like to tell people half the CEOs in the country, the Fortune 500 came up through sales because you're always selling, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and um, so I, uh, a company by the name of Vision Service Plan, I should tell you, there's a couple other companies that took uh, uh, I started with, but just wasn't right fit for me. Uh, I landed at Vision Service Plan, um, and I worked there for two years, and it was selling vision insurance to corporations and unions and municipalities and different things. Uh, and then that's where I got my entry into the optical space. Okay. One of the board members told me that um, there was a startup company named Siba Geige, starting Siba Vision. Siba Geige at the time was a Fortune 50 company, Swiss big pharmaceutical company. I said, that kind of gets me towards my goal. Uh, so I go to work for Siba uh, Vision, which is a contact, it was a startup contact lens manufacturing company. And um, five and a half years later, uh, was able to uh, acquire a small failing small distribution contact lens distribution company so then you enter into this so you be, you get uh you, the entire company or you get a piece of this company that's a distributor so it's an inter interesting question okay. right so um at the time um, um the individuals that were uh, in the company and blowing away their forecast and selling more than other people had distributors in their backyard and what i did was went to the largest laboratory uh, that was in my territory uh, that ma makes the lenses for your glasses and convinced them to become a contact lens distributor with the concept of all their sales and what they would inventory would go, I would get credit for and they would sell outside of my territory and I would get credit for that. Uh, today, obviously, it evolves where the sales reporting is a lot more sophisticated than it was back then. But yeah. back then, you would get 100% credit for that. So, I had an incentive to make these individuals uh, contact lens uh, uh, distributors. Long story short, they wanted to that that they decided not to be in that business because um, it was uh, uh, took a significant amount of capital to expand that business, uh, and I was able to uh, uh, acquire it from them. Okay, so so you acquire it from them, and then this this is what what year. 1989. 1989. And you st this is really the start of ABB. ABB? Yes. And then, so you acquire, you had to have some money. So no. You <laughs> so no. okay. uh, there's a story behind the acquisition, and it was uh, the, the bank. It's a bank story, to be honest okay. with you. The bank uh, told them that they fell behind on payments to one of the manufacturers, and they had signed a UCC, a Universal Commercial mm -hmm. Code, that let the bank have, it defaulted their loan with their bank at the time. Mm -hmm. So then they had to divest themselves from that business in exchange for getting this UCC from one of the contact lens manufacturers had to remove it, right? Okay. In order for them to be in compliance with the bank. That's really the catalyst that made it happen. They wanted me to buy into it and put in money and own a third of the company, which I did not want to do. We walked away from those negotiations um, because I did not want to buy a third of a, you know, company that was teetering a little bit, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. So I said, I'm only interested in this. And they didn't want to segregate that per se until the bank, you know, made them kind of either pay up, pay this manufacturer off entirely and release us of the UCC, uh, or they're going to call the loan on the, on the bank. So it's interesting. So uh, that part of the business, just to be clear that, so... Did you take over the obligation? 
I I ended up doing a uh, very much like uh, Tom Vu uh, would teach in real estate, <laughs> a no money down. Uh, they took the the loan back, but I was paying uh, them for the for the loan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn learn from Tom Vu. Yeah, it's all <laughs> applicable. Uh, there's a lot in common in business, and uh, everything's a learning. And uh, I leverage that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and wholesale distribution is truly about leveraging. Mm-hmm. everything, technology, products, you know, services. So you put everything in one box as opposed to, and drive efficiency, right? That's, right. A, that's a mindset that I have. So you, you've, you've got your distributing company, 1989. Tell us, you know, so that's a long time ago. Yep. Take us through, you know, those first well, few I, years. I, I think the critical it. part, uh, my brother uh, was a, uh, an attorney at uh, White and Case. Okay. And what I would tell people Huge is, uh, yeah, and it gave us tremendous clout right, right out of the box, right? I mean, we were a startup, no money down organization, um, had a nice 401k that I cashed out. And it was roughly nine months of uh, living expenses for my wife. And the vision of the company was to keep my wife home with my children. That's what she wanted. That's why we took the risk. That was the vision. It wasn't you know, people always ask, uh, you know, what, what, those initial days, what was it really about? It was really about keeping my wife with my children. Um, and that gave me, you know, tremendous uh, reason. And, and I enjoyed going to work because of that. Right. So uh, that was your motivation, right? my motivation. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. I, I couldn't come up with but it was it was extremely motivating, made me feel good. Um, the rest I would learn downstream. Um, you know, we had to keep the lights on, uh, and, and it was, it was a difficult business because wholesale distribution is as you scale, it's one of those businesses that can put you out of business from your success, right? Yeah. Your receivables go up disproportionately and your inventory goes up. And you have to pay for both of those, right? We Somehow, see that. some we way. We see that in banking all the time, right? Company well, one hundred percent, and uh, that's why I was, uh, you know, my brother and I uh, were, you know, we'd always talk that we went, we made a conscious decision for twenty five years to do it the bank route versus investors, mm-hmm. and um, you know what I personally did was leverage my personal uh, assets, my home, these homes we bought with no money down. My cars, uh, everything we had multiple times to to get a credit line uh, first and then expand from there. I, I, I see today with a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they don't want to put their own assets in the line of fire. I've pledged everything I've loaned, I don't know how many times. You're honest, all in. All in. So those early stories with banks, can were there some that were people really helped you out from the banking industry? You yeah. Good bank stories? Sure. sure. Well, uh, I mean, we could leapfrog forward because in the beginning, um, you know, the, the bank did not want me to buy the organization. Uh, it was uh, Bank Atlantic because I didn't have, I was a sales representative, right? I didn't have experience running a business. Mm-hmm. So the bottom line on that is they turned me down. They had to, and the deal didn't happen, right? So they had to actually wait until this UCC thing, which was a bolt of lightning, hit. And then they were forced to kind of accept kind of new terms okay. uh, that I, I walked in to make the payments on, right? Yeah. Uh, and then long, uh, bigger term, they, mm-hmm. they ended up, that business ended up closing 
and the deal directly, they had to deal directly with me right. at that time, right? So I took over that debt and I paid that off over, it ballooned in five years. And I remember walking down and, you know, with the balloon payment and paying it off and uh, five years later, and they wanted to do business with me then, right? Five <laughs> years later. But uh, I will tell you that um, Citizens Bank at the time um, was the first one that helped me with the credit. Uh, and Citizens Bank is now part of the America, Bank of America, I think. Okay. We got a, Citizens got acquired by somebody Almost who acquired somebody. Did, right? Uh, yeah, right. So <laughs> we went up the... We had like four different banks, but started at Citizen and ended at Bank of America. But um, I think the unique thing, we um, we were the first organization with Wells Fargo to use an asset-based loan to do a merger or an acquisition. Okay. Yeah. Another wholesaler. And uh, we, we got a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, credit for doing something, which was a bit unusual. Mm -hmm. It gets tricky because your timing is critical as if, if, if you know anything about the asset loan, you know, it, it's a portion of your inventory, uh, might be in our case, it was almost 90% of the inventory value and a portion of your accounts receivables. And that's the amount you can borrow against at any given time. And when you're doing an acquisition with moving parts and things like that, it becomes a little bit difficult. In fact, we were short a quarter million dollars during our first acquisition that we used this, not by anything other than the CFO of the other company who didn't clearly understand the mechanics of how made a million dollar payment on to a manufacturer. And it just, we, we you know, so we had to educate them on the, me the mechanics of how we could fund this correctly. So we came back around. It was a difficult time, actually. Um, we were actually in the, the, uh, the White and Case offices in New York and walked out of the deal when we were short because uh, our father, my brother and I, you know, my father was was very sick and, and was actually dying from cancer. So just didn't have the, uh, you know, just walked out, went back home, regrouped, understood what happened, buried our father. Uh. Yeah. Uh, it was that type of thing. Timing is critical in all these. You know, when I look back at my career and the things that had to happen, you have things that break your way from a timing standpoint and things that, you know, obviously uh, uh, don't break your way. And that was definitely one of them. We were just fortunate enough that the owners were, uh, were uh, I think, understood enough that they gave us another crack at it. So the second time around, Wells Fargo was, Wells Fargo was kind of, disappointed. They had invested a lot of money and there was a lot of work done. So they were going to make sure that we were going to close on the second one. They, <laughs> they became a really good uh, ally of that. So once we successfully did that and we had a track record, not only with our company here in Coral Springs, but this company in Massachusetts, then we we're off to the races. You know, we had a good formula, we had a good team, and we were starting just to uh, use that uh, methodology. I actually used that methodolo methodology to value a company. So, you know, when you're negotiating to acquire a company, you think it's worth 10x, I think it's worth 5x. And I would just say, here's the financing rules. And this is what the valuation because this is how we're going to pay for it. And uh, we use the actual bank formulas as a legitimate methodology to value a company that then we would acquire, That's which by the way, is a, a discounted amount, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. it really worked for us. Well, so. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, great strategy.
Did you get to a point at some point where you're like, wow, you know, this is a real success? Uh, so it's funny. So we moved from warehouse to warehouse, right, as we were growing. And um, this is one of those stories that, I, you know, you're, you're, in, you're in the business versus on it. And, um, and people would come and go. And remember, I came from one of the manufacturers. And um, so I had a lot of friends in, in, in that organization, which was SEBA Vision. And they would be very proud that one of them, which was me, was able to, you know, scale this, the, the company up. But when we were moving from one space to the other, I remember distinctly thinking, I'm going to buy, get a lot bigger spaces because we're, you know, I don't want to move. And we ended up moving four times, but <laughs> uh, moving is a real expensive chore. And I should have taken the advice of the owners of the warehouses that were saying, you're going to fill this, you're going to be doing this in five years from now, right? At the current rate. Um, but, uh, individuals would come in and tell you, wow, I can't believe it. I mean, now it's a 25,000 square foot warehouse and that's a 70,000 and it's multiple hundred thousand square foot warehouses. Right. But you're in the mix and all, you're not necessarily, uh, seeing it that way. It It takes people from the outside, family members, colleagues, you know, the doctors that I would call on as a contact lens representative, uh, took great pride in the success. They were our first clients and, uh, and rightly so they helped us build the organization. Yeah. So, so zero 1989 to a billion and a half dollars Yes, today. So what's your, and you're obviously the biggest company that we've talked to in terms of revenues. So what's your best advice to people who, who have a successful business today, but want to scale it? How did you scale? Yeah, for me, so, um, you know, I'm very big on mentors and uh, mentoring organizations to learn because I, I uh, early on knew I had some finance, some finance experience, some management experience, uh, dealing with my friends showing up to park cars and not showing <laughs> up and people stealing cars and car accidents and all the different things that happened in the, in the small businesses I had run. Um, but I, I, I came up through this particular uh, channel uh, uh, that, through the sales uh, side of the business. And, you know, sales forgives a lot of sins, obviously. So our sales were going through the roof, but I was making different mistakes through technology, wrong technology applications, um, wasn't focused enough in operations. I was trying to do way too many, too many things. Um, and, um, you know, I, I decided to, you know, to either join, there was a couple different groups. YPO was one and Vistage was the other. I decided to join Vistage. And uh, there I bumped into individuals that uh, one uh, was an individual by the name of Howard Goldman. The last, his family was the last independent pharmaceutical distributor in the state of Florida called Golf Distribution. And then Brad Weinbrum, whose family business was uh, office supply distribution. And what I realized from them uh, and others in the group, but those two, I use those kind of what I realized is those companies were on a certain trajectory and our industry was on a certain trajectory. And what I was able to do is kind of steal best practices from those two industries that 
that had been rolled up, by the way, and expanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the pharmaceutical business, three distributors make up 85% of all the volume. Office supply, there's two distributors doing 80% of all the distribution of all the office supply in the country, right? right. So that's led me to say, I, I need to scale up. I need to get critical mass. I need to, you know, uh, do go on an M&A uh, uh, and start acquiring organization and scale up uh, because of those two models. And they were inc- incredibly helpful to me going through the evolution of that because you can't go from first base to third base, right? Right. To, how do we get to second first? And then we'll bunt the ball and get the runner to third and hopefully somebody, you know, does sacrifice fly and we'll, we'll go home. So the, the critical cadence of that was really important uh, so much so that Brad Weinbrum, who was in the office supply business, became our, I hired him, he came in as a chief operating officer to to uh, deal with the operations side of the business, which uh, which needed help as we we're scaling and, and uh, in multiple locations, it's, it gets challenging in a hurry, right? I, I think from a scaling standpoint, targeting the companies that you wanted to uh, acquire, right? And knowing that you can't just knock on the door and say, hey, you know, I want to come to California and so I want to buy your company. So uh, what I did was I, I created an association of non-competing same businesses, one in California, one in New York. We were very regional at the time. ABB was very much still in a, uh, a Florida company the Massachusetts company that we ended up acquiring, uh, and, um, uh, oh, and a company in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Long story short, uh, put that group together, did all types of benchmarking, did a bunch of projects that collectively helped each other around technology, marketing, um, uh, educating the, the manufacturers on our value proposition, strategic things that had very, that had value for everyone. Uh, long story short, I ended up buying all those companies. Wow. Yeah, over fifteen years. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't an overnight thing, but we built rapport. Uh, we paid them a fair price. We were their exit uh, as we were scaling like a up. Trojan horse strategy a little bit, like you, you helped them out, and, and uh, next thing you know, I wish I could tell you that <laughs> that was the idea from the beginning. <laughs> it wasn't the idea. It's just different people were trying to get out. Uh, they were older than me. Uh, individuals wanted to retire. And I, they trusted me and we had a working relationship. Uh, and I would tell, you know, any entrepreneurial individual that, I, you know, you have to take that step, but they're going to be guarded, right? Whoever you go to, particularly if you don't know them real well, they're going to be guarded. So what I did was showed them my financials, was open kimono on, you know, mm-hmm. here are my top five issues that yeah. I want to, let's talk. You're in California, yeah. no business in California. Let's, you know, I'd love to have dinner with you and just go through this. It's systematically over time, building trust uh, and understanding. And you leave those meetings learning a lot, obviously. Sure. Uh, and then uh, trying to, in, in my case, trying to do joint ventures and things that helped individuals, how to buy cardboard boxes, right? The UPS contract that we could potentially do it as a group of distributors. Yeah. Those type of things. Very smart. So just tactical things, not the big strategic yeah. things. You start low with a low hanging fruit and then, you know, kind of elevate as you go. What was the biggest challenge that you think you faced through the years? Well, in wholesale distribution, it's always, I think, uh, the same, which you're the man in the middle. So uh, if the your customers want to pay less 
and then your suppliers want to charge you more. <laughs> so you're the man in the middle. So you have to create value. And uh, the way we decided to create value, and this goes back to the financing uh, background, is you know understand and actually uh, Howard Goldman's company understand the retail business better than the doctors themselves. The more successful our customers were, it was directly we would have normally on a the majority of our best customers, 100% of their business. Yeah. So the best way to grow our business to get you to grow your business, right? Well, you mentioned Vistage and and the uh, support that you got, the mentorship that you got there. Any other particular mentor that, that stands oh, out? Oh, I have. My father was my biggest mentor, right? Um, I mean, he mentally prepared me for, for uh, leadership. And uh, um, there's a handful of people that have really you know, uh, help me in the, in the real estate business is a guy <laughs> by the name of, uh, Larry Linder, who he helped me. He was feeding me, uh, the foreclosures when I was flipping houses. That, I wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. Any other advice you have for would be entrepreneurs or people? Yeah, out there? So I, I mean, uh, what I see in the, uh, we've talked about it, but I mean, just a that you have to be all in and, and it might be old school. I, I just see entrepreneurship, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily all in. They're more focused on raising outside funds, which I think is critically important. I went down the working with banks versus giving away equity. And I was all in with everything I had, uh, which I, I don't see that as much. And then if you're, if you're chasing money early on, uh, and investors per se, uh, that takes a lot of energy and it takes your, your eye off the ball. Yeah, I I saw it firsthand in the year two thousand with the uh, the dot com, and everybody I was dealing with was going to disintermediate our company. Right, technology was going to disintermediate our company, and and what I noticed is these guys are spending seventy percent of the time running around from meeting to meeting trying to raise money, versus building their platform. And sure enough, when when the downturn, they just got all eliminated. They were just eliminated, right? right. And here we were, anything but. And, and I just see that that tug. If if it's difficult enough to be run a really successful business and get it off the ground and successful, where fifty percent of the time running around trying to get investors is, I, I don't see it. I mean, it's 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 very difficult to do. So, uh, and I'm not saying it because you're a bank, but. I, I think uh, we, we used the bank by leveraging everything we had, uh, and that's what worked for us. The next thing, you know, you have mentors in this space, regardless. I mean, there's people that work for SCORE, and I, I dealt with executives at SCORE early on uh, before I joined Vistage, and, you know, one executive better than the next, right? I mean, yeah. free advice supported by the, uh, the government um, and these retired executives come in and help you out. It's, it's unbelievable. And that's they're happy to, happy to do it, by yeah. the way. I don't know if a lot of people even recognize that that's available and small business development centers and score are free resources that, that, uh, entrepreneurs can use. So yeah. thank you for mentioning that. And now to, to finish off, we're going to hit you with the lightning round. Lightning uh, round. So is there dollars involved? <laughs> <laughs> there could be. Um, <laughs> and, and we're going to just uh, hit you with some quick uh, questions and just fire back. So favorite quote? Cemeteries full of indispensable people. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a uh, from my father. 
since I was eight years old. Every time we went by a cemetery, that was his way. He was a chess player, right? So yeah. that was his way of saying, you know, you think you can't, you can't delegate. You can, you know, so trust, delegate, get out of other people's way. You don't have to, you know, run everything, you know, I so love that one. yeah. So <laughs> happiest and lowest moment in business. In business. Yeah. Happiest. I uh, have a thousand of them. Uh, we would have happy hours on Fridays before we had HR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, I th- I think uh, the day that um, uh, the day that I uh, uh, acquired the, the business, and I went to tell my father, and he he took my watch. I don't wear a watch, and he said, uh, "This uh, nine to five is over for you." So. I don't wear a watch in his honor, uh, but now I have a I have a cell phone that tells me uh, all that stuff. Um, made some huge blunders. Thinking back on it, uh, worst days. Yeah, I got into different spaces, um, capital equipment uh, that I didn't know about. Didn't do enough due diligence in the space. Uh, learned a lot of lessons, but uh, that was that was a made some mistakes. I I. Uh, um, and I'll tell you, I, we had trusted employees that, um, one in particular, the most trusted employee I found out, uh, stole something from us, which wow. was uh, brutally painful. We, we heard had that to, same had story previously too. That's a, that's a real uh, that, disappointment. That said, I would not, you have to, you have to trust people to scale and, and, you know, you, you've got, you don't, you don't have any choice. And I don't want to be that type of person that doesn't trust people. Uh, I think it's a, it's a huge drawback from you, you know, growing the organization. Yeah. Correctly. But it's very disappointing when somebody it's, violates. It's brutal. Trust. It's yeah. brutal. How about any shows, movies, a Netflix series or anything you're watching <laughs> that you think is really good? Uh, a, a podcast I just heard okay. uh, about this Russian, uh, you know, escaping Russia so he wouldn't be drafted. I mean, recently, just amazing stuff. And, you know, it's just painful that he's leaving. He's running away from his country. He doesn't want to leave his country, right? His family, he has to leave his family because he doesn't want to get drafted into the, the battle in Ukraine. And I'm just thinking, you know, I was listening to it. I'm just thinking... You know, we're so fortunate here in the United States. Yeah. You know, I uh, just unbelievable what's going on in the country. Yeah. So I listen to these things. I'm a big fan of uh, all types of um, of documentary things around prisons and war and things like that, because it makes me feel very grateful that, you know, uh, we're not in those situations. Yes. Great. And hopefully you'll be, uh, you know, tuning into uh, making bank here in the future. <laughs> uh, how about any book or or books? Been, uh, I've been going down this path. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a book on gratitude. It's called Gratitude. I wish I could tell you. I don't pay attention to the authors, unfortunately. And it's just a uh, easy read, and uh, um, just I, I, it's it fills me with happy. It makes me ha- makes me feel good makes me feel uh, good to be in this country and and that I have my health and that I have this beautiful family and that I'm here sitting with you and it's a beautiful day outside and a hurricane didn't hit. I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? But just makes you that, that uh, I mean, I'm, a, uh, I, I'm one of these individuals that I'm very grateful for the opportunity that this country has given us and, and uh, 
the success it's given me and my family. Well, it's a great story and, and nice to hear that, that gratitude. How about uh, hobbies or what do you do to relax? Uh, I've been working out. Um, and, uh, you know, Jack LaLanne, I, I, I read this thing about Jack LaLanne, who's, you know, the, yes. the first fitness guru. Yeah. And which, you know, changed my mind. He hates, he hated every minute of it. <laughs> so when I get up in the morning, I, it gives me pleasure to know that he didn't like it either. But I'm, I'm making it a part of my, uh, my everyday life, uh, which, um, because uh, I've stepped back from ABB, I'm the executive uh, chairman of the company mm-hmm. now, so I, I'm not in the company every every day. And um, I do a lot of boating. I play some golf. Um, I'm leaving here to pick up my granddaughter, oh, awesome. which is a big deal. And we're going to go to a book fair and then uh, go uh, go buy some donuts or ice cream, whatever she wants, and then go see her great grandmother, my mother, who's ninety-seven years old. Wow! Yeah, that's a big afternoon for us. Yeah, so that sounds like a great day. Yeah. And and last, what about a favorite restaurant? Oh wow! Uh, or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like uh, Porto Sol, which is an Italian place on uh, I think Ponce and Coral Gables. Real Italian family, uh, the fish there, everything's excellent there. I, I, I love authentic Italian. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, yeah, I like it very much. All right. Well, Angel, thank you so much for being with us today. you got a great story. We appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Wow, Angel Alvarez, amazing story. Guy has built a billion and a half dollar business over his his career. It's an incredible story. And I think some great lessons for people who want to scale up. He talked about the value of the mentors that he had in his Vistage group and his YPO group, how he knew he had to learn the distribution systems that were used in the office supply business and pharmaceuticals to scale up his business and do more M&A and get to a certain size and and structure so that he could scale that up to a billion and a half dollars. And just an incredible story, immigrant family from Cuba, entrepreneurial family, and certainly Angel has lived up to that. He doesn't wear a watch, which I thought was cool because his father said, when you launch your business, no more nine to five for you. And now he's doing a lot of very cool things, working with small businesses and entrepreneurs, uh, doing a lot of philanthropy in terms of helping our community. So great, great guest. And uh, we wish Angel all of continued success throughout his life. So follow Locality Bank on LinkedIn. You can pick the podcast up on Spotify, Apple, any of your preferred platforms. And just, just remember, we're here to support local businesses. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for Locality's Making Bank podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes and visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.